We're going to look at quite a few scriptures tonight to do with um, planning our walk in the Lord. Um, Just before I go any further though, I'd like to say to any new people in our meeting here tonight that um, this is not just any ordinary sort of church meeting, but um, that we're here to uh, preach the gospel and uh, we're very much looking for people to follow the Lord. And of course many people think they are already following the Lord because they've got some religion in their life But of course uh, we're talking about really following the Lord according to the word of God and a lot of people haven't done that yet. Uh, They might go to church and they might believe in God in the sort of the ordinary sense but true belief in God will bring action and the action that the Bible says it will bring is that you will repent which means to turn away from this world you'll be baptised and you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. The form of baptism is by full immersion as an adult a decision that you have to make not a decision that your parents could make for you like they do in many churches of where people are sprinkled as a baby, not supported by the Bible, and that God will fill you with the Holy Spirit and you'll speak in a language you've never spoken before by the power of God. They are the steps of salvation. Uh, people often quote to various scriptures throughout the Bible. Like one brother came to me today with uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 where it talks about believing, uh, confessing Jesus Christ with your mouth and believing in your heart and so you shall be saved. And of course uh, a lot of people don't realise that these scriptures are written already to believers like in the book of Romans, people who are already baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to do with their walk in the Lord in particular. But uh, the scriptures that we quote are the ones uh, where people literally asked what they would do to uh, to do to get saved and that was the question what must we do and uh, they were the answers to repent to be baptised and be filled with the Holy Spirit and um, I thought I'd like to say that at the beginning just in case I forget to say it later on because I'm going to mainly be talking to believers tonight <clears throat> but uh, listen just the same because uh, we hope that uh, as we preach from the Word of God, that there's information for every person. I want to talk about planning our walk in the Lord. There's a lot of people in this world today that are living a very haphazard existence. It's uh, an existence of, well, we sort of let life just sort of happen and uh, wake up in the morning, what will I do today sort of thing, and it's just a sort of, uh, well, whatever we've got to do, and then if we can have a bit of pleasure the pleasures of life and they certainly look at life and they realise it's slipped through their fingers and it's all been a pretty well a big waste of time. They don't always like to admit that but most of their life has been consumed in idle um, vanity as the Bible uses the term of just literally whittling away their life in a lot of useless things and um, well we could mention all sorts of things but I'm talking tonight about planning our walk in the Lord because if you don't plan your walk in the Lord the same thing can happen that uh, it'll just uh, day by day and week by week it'll just become into a routine and uh, your joy in the Lord and uh, the meetings and all will become an old and uninteresting thing to you it's because you're not putting uh, an effort into it and I think that scripture in the New Testament says to work out your own salvation with Fear and trembling is a very important scripture and it's quite obvious from the life of the Apostle Paul that he gave a lot of thoughts to what he was doing and and what next he was going to do. 
Often, as Pastor John mentioned in uh, the uh, talk this afternoon about people putting out a fleece, and it's a, I often think, as uh, he mentioned, it's, it's a, a completely the wrong idea. It's often a sort of a, a do-nothing, but I'll put out a fleece and see if I have to do anything sort of thing and see if it works. But I see the very opposite in the Bible. In actual fact, the very story of uh, putting out a fleece is usually the opposite to the way people use it. People often say they don't know what to do and therefore they put out a fleece. It's of course of talking about the time when, when Gideon was called. But if you read the story of Gideon, you find it was the very opposite, that God told Gideon what to do and Gideon just wanted to make sure. But people use it the other way around. They haven't got any idea what to do and they're sort of trying to find an answer. But the Lord came to Gideon and he said, Thou mighty man of valour, I've called you to do this and that. And he tested the Lord and he said, Well, to prove if you're with me, Lord, and he put out the fleece. And one night it was wet and all the ground was dry and the next night, well, uh, the fleece was wet. Uh, one of the opposite, anyhow, whatever I said. <laughs> In the book of Acts, you read that the Apostle Paul didn't do that. He had a ministry, he had a calling and I believe it's summed up in Mark chapter 16 where the Lord said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now he didn't stop to find out whether he should talk to this person and not to that person. The command was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now if the Lord was against what he was doing then the Lord would show it to him as he did in the book of Acts on a few occasions. You might know the story of where he said uh, to uh, his fellow companion, let us go into Asia and preach the gospel. And it says that the Lord forbade him. And then he said, well, let us go here and preach the gospel. And the Bible says again, the Lord forbade him. But his whole attitude was, let's go and do it. And then the next night, he had a vision of, of, the, uh, of uh, the man in Macedon. And he said, uh, come and tell us. And uh, uh, Paul was uh, uh, instantly said, that's obviously where we've got to go. But the attitude was, let's go. Now I'm talking in particular about planning, uh, things to do in our walk in the Lord. And years ago in my walk in the Lord, there were four things that I decided pretty well summed up. Now you can think of a dozen other things than what I'm going to mention tonight. But there were four things that particularly should almost happen in every, uh, uh, well I don't know when I should put a time on it, whether it be every day or every week or what. But in our walk in the Lord, these four things should be constantly in our life and they usually take a bit of planning. They usually take a bit of thought before we do them. And we'll go through them in a bit of an order that I've put them in. Whether they're actually in that order, I don't know. And maybe I'm starting off with the person that's just come to the Lord. But it goes on throughout your walk in the Lord and it never really ever alters. These four things are very important in your walk in the Lord. And the first one is reading the Word of God and getting to understand the Word of God. It's one of these things that just cannot be overemphasised. The importance of you learning the Word of God. Let's just look at one scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2.
We've got a pen and a paper there tonight. It mightn't hurt to jot down some of the things I'm going to say tonight because uh, I believe that uh, there is a lot of importance in what I'm saying. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. So the first one, as I said, is the Word of God and its place in your life. And in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now there's a scripture that's just as important as Mark chapter 16, or what other scripture we use. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now we know that in the world they have Bible study, and I'm not really talking about that. We don't approach the Word of God like that, do we? We don't sort of get people out and we don't sort of plough through the Word of God like a textbook. And maybe the word study maybe misleads us there a little bit. But it's quite obvious that the emphasis is there that you know the Word of God, whatever term you use. And there might be many ways that you can go about uh, learning the Word of God. There's no doubt that the greatest way to learn the Word of God is to use the Word of God in your daily life. It reminds me of David when he came to fight with the Philistine, Goliath of Gath. And when he came, we find that Saul, King Saul said, David, before you go in and fight the Philistine, I want you to wear my armour. Now David was only a lad and the Bible says that Saul was almost as big as Goliath. He was a giant of a man. He was like Brother Stephen, head and shoulders above everybody. Now I dare say that if uh, um, David had uh, put on uh, Goliath's armour, it would have been like me putting on Brother John's uh, overcoat or something. <laughs> it would have hung all over him. Now David said, no, I won't do it. And the reason he gave number one wasn't that the armour was too big for him, but he said, I haven't tried it. I don't know it. I'm not prepared to use something I don't know. What he did do is he went down to the brook and he got some little stones and he used a sling, which I dare say he had used many times before. I know when I was a boy I never used a sling. I used a shangai. We used to call it a dinger. I don't know what the the label term is in every state, I dare say it's different. But it was a, it was a glorious weapon and uh, we used to do all sorts of things with it. And I remember my brother and I used to often have a game of touch last and if you've ever played it, it usually ended up with him with the, shank, with the uh, slug gun and me with the, uh, the dinger, slamming slugs and rocks into each other. We were lovely little boys. <laughs> <clears throat> but it was a, a, a weapon that um, I used to know very well. And um, oh, I could say lots of things about it. But anyhow, uh, got nothing to do with what I'm saying tonight. <laughs> David was very good with a sling, as Goliath found out. And uh, he wasn't prepared to use something he didn't know. When you preach the Word of God, when you use the Word of God in your daily life, you've got to know it. And it's most probably going to take hours of reading. And I believe that in any part of your walk in the Lord, as often as you can, you should read the Word of God. Never ever get to a point where you think that you know it, because you don't. It's a tremendous book, and even if you read the same verse a hundred times, you'll get something out of it. 
You can get somebody to read Mark chapter 16 and you'll get something out of it you've never seen before. That's the depth of the Word of God. But you've got to know it. You've got to handle it. It reminds me again of, a, uh, for example, a soccer player. Now, to be a professional soccer player, I've never particularly played soccer. They call it football. They ought to call it headball. But anyhow, uh, oh, I'm on dangerous ground there, aren't I? <laughs> particularly with half our congregation coming from a certain little country overseas there. Um, but in soccer, I believe that uh, to become a good soccer player, you've got to handle that ball a heck of a lot. And you see uh, often uh, children and later on adults, they will go out there with that ball and they will fiddle around with it and they'll bounce it off their feet and on their head and, and uh, they'll dribble it and all the terms that they use. The more they do it, the more they know how to do it. There's no good just sort of saying, well, I played a good game last week, next Saturday... It'll be just the same. They mostly get out there and they'll be uh, pretty rough, won't they? But the ones that become good are the ones that handle it. And they're constantly handling it. Even in their hand and they're playing around with it with their feet all the time, as many hours as they can. And maybe that's a good example or a bad one. I don't know. I'm not encouraging people to do that. But I am encouraging you to handle the Word of God. In actual fact, it's, it's a romance in some ways. It might be the greatest romance of your life is to fall in love with the Word of God to such a degree that you feel like embracing it. That's how the feeling should be with the Bible. To many people in the world, it's an old uh, uh, fashion book that you can't understand. But to you and I who are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the most precious thing there is. And everything to do with our walk in the Lord and with our meetings and everything revolves around the Word of God. I cannot emphasise that enough. It is the Word of God. It's, it's the one thing that we look at all the time. It is our inspiration. It is our daily food. The Word of God. It is the very thing that is going to be with us as we rise in the morning and as we go to bed at night time. It is the first thing you think of when you're in trouble. It is the first thing that you think of when you're not in trouble. And when somebody talks to you about the things of the world or about their own life or something, the Word of God constantly is coming to mind. But if you don't know the Word of God, if you're like David and you don't know how to use your armour, then you're not going to be able to use it in a day of uh, crisis because you're not familiar with it. Another great example in the Bible is Jesus Christ, who in a sense was the Word of God. But when the devil approached him and he tempted him three times, Christ knew the answer. He instantly knew what to say. He quoted the Word of God. Now I'm not saying for you to just sit down and, and rattle it off parrot fashion. That mightn't do anything to you. But there are certain scriptures in the Bible that it mostly wouldn't hurt if you did. Particularly to do with the promises. Particularly to do with another person's salvation. If somebody comes to you and says, what must I do to be saved? You should know instantly what to say. Not the old uh, uh, clichés of the world. You go along to many churches today and they've got their little uh, set format. They say, uh, accept Jesus Christ into your heart, uh, accept him as your personal saviour. They're not quoting a scripture. They're quoting a man-made uh, man, man interpretation of the word of God. But quote the word. You should know the word. In actual fact, you should feel ashamed. If you say that statement that I hear people say from time to time, oh, I don't know what it says. You tell me what it says. You shouldn't be in that situation. You should know it. 
You might say to me, but where do I start? Where do I turn to when I want to read the Word of God? Do I just start in the book of Genesis like another book and read through to the book of Revelation? I would say instantly, no, don't do that. It's not the best way to read the Word of God. I'm not saying uh, not ever to do that. It might not hurt. Maybe in some time in your walk in the Lord to just say, right, oh, I'm going to do that. The reason I might say to do that, it might put the Bible in a bit of uh, perspective. It might sort of put it in place a little bit. You might get the overall picture. But the Word of God doesn't necessarily run like that. You'll in actual fact find some books that are completely uh, not in that order at all. For example, you'll find that some of the, the minor prophets were living at the same age as some of the major prophets and they've got a lot of books in between. you find, a, I believe, um, one of the books I was reading the other night, um, book of uh, Haggai. I believe he lived at the same time as the book of uh, the man Isaiah. The same set of kings are listed at the beginning as these men lived at the same time. There are a lot of books in between. So if you read it in order, the order wouldn't be there. So you might say, where do I start? I've just come to the Lord. Where do I start? Well, of course, the one that we always tell people to start in is the four Gospels. Now, don't ever get the idea that if you've read one Gospel, you've read them all. No way. For those of us that have come to know the Word of God, you'll know that a lot of things that are in one Gospel are not in the other Gospel. And the great example of this is the book of uh, John. The, uh, the Gospel of John has almost got, uh, most of it anyhow, is not in any of the other Gospels. And so don't ever get the idea, well, I've read Matthew, I can jump now. Read them all. And in your walk in the Lord, don't ever get the idea that they're just the milk of the word. They're not. However long you've been in the Lord, constantly read the four Gospels. As I said, you might think you know them, but there's a lot in there that you'll read it again and you'll realise that you don't know it. Then I dare say the other book that we would encourage you to read is the book of Acts. And the reason I'm putting it in this order is that there are other books that you might want to read, but at this stage, if you've just come to the Lord, they might confuse you. There's a lot of people got the idea that the, within weeks of coming to the Lord, they've got to know what the book of Revelation is all about. I was in the Lord over ten years before I decided I'd tackle the book of Revelation. It fascinated me just the same. And there were parts of it that I got a lot out of, particularly the first two or three chapters and the last two or three chapters of, uh, well, fairly easy to read. The message to the seven churches is a lot in that and the, uh, the last two or three about the end of the age and the second coming of the Lord. Most of us could read it and get a lot out of it. But some of the stuff in the middle is pretty heavy going. And why I say that is that people get bogged down in it and they've got to know what it's all about. It's sometimes better to say, in that particular instance, you don't know. Book of Daniel, books like that. But I'm mainly telling you what to read. The Gospels, the book of Acts. And then maybe when you've... Uh, uh, of course, you'll get a coverage of all the other books as you attend the meetings. But I'm talking about your private reading. And then you might uh, decide to read some of the epistles, which will be a very good idea. But again, there's some of the epistles. And you might like to take these down as I'm saying them tonight. You might some of the, find some of the epistles a little bit heavy going. And the ones that I would say that you might find heavy going are the book of Galatians and the book of Hebrews, and the book of Romans. Not all of them, by any means. But there are parts of those books that you might tend to find a little bit as though I wonder what that's all about. You might get 
bogged down in Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews or, or the law in all of those three books, the difference between law and grace. And you might say, well, what are the epistles would I read and at this stage, early stage of my walk in the Lord? Well, why don't read such books as the book of Philemon, uh, the book of Philippians, I mean, well, Philemon's all right too, and the book of uh, uh, Colossians and uh, the 1st and 2nd Corinthians. There's a lot in those books as well. And uh, why I pick on those is that, well, most of us is just good advice, people, things that they did wrong and, and so on. Well, I could mention other epistles uh, in the New Testament and then you could go on. Then you might say, what about the Old Testament? The Old Testament is important. Now and again I hear people say in the, in the assembly, I don't ever read the Old Testament. I think you're missing out on something if you don't. If you only know the New Testament, you haven't got that which is the foundation of the old, of the, uh, I'm sorry, if you, only, if you only know the New Testament, you haven't got that which is the foundation to it, which is the Old Testament. And of course in the midst of all your reading of the, of the Gospels and the book of Acts, if you want to read something in the Old Testament and throughout it all, constantly read the, the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. They are two books that you will find uh, have got a lot of inspiration in them and are generally fairly easy to understand and comprehend. All of these books I'm mentioning, now and again you'll run into something that might be a little bit hard. Well, don't worry about it. Just go on and uh, later on as you walk in the Lord, it'll come to you. In the Old Testament, it doesn't hurt. At some stage or other, shortly after you come to the Lord, maybe a few months after, to start at the book of Genesis and read through Genesis and Exodus. Now Leviticus is a book that you might find difficult to comprehend. You want to put that down. It's about the law and it goes into a lot to do with the law. But you find that Genesis and Exodus is generally a story and it lays an incredible foundation to everything that happened thereafter. The book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. Again, I've got some a uh, little bit hard parts, but generally is the same story of the children of Israel as they journey. The book of Judges and the book of Joshua fall into the same category. First and second Samuel and first and second Kings and those also are generally stories that you can follow through fairly well. The books that you might find a little hard and even later on in your walk in the Lord are a little uh, difficult sometimes to get a lot out of are such books as the book of Job, particularly if you're feeling a little depressed. Um, not the most exciting book but again now later on as you walk in the Lord there's times that you can read it and get a tremendous amount out of it uh, such as the minor prophets and even the major prophets such as Ezekiel, Jeremiah uh, can be uh, sometimes a little difficult just after you've come to the Lord but later on in your walk in the Lord you'll have, uh, you'll have a heyday when you start to devour the books such as the book of Isaiah and this sort of thing. And you suddenly find out that half of the book of Isaiah is re-quoted in the New Testament. And so you've already read half of it when you read the New Testament. And, uh, and so on. But some of the minor prophets uh, you might find a little heavy going. So there it is. The Bible uh, a little bit gone through. I haven't got time to mention every book. But uh, particularly you should get to know the New Testament in your walk in the Lord. You should get to a point almost... When any verse, maybe other than the book of Revelation, but in almost any verse in the New Testament is quoted, you should say, well, I know that verse. I haven't heard it for a while, but I know it. I might not be able to say where it is, but I know it. I believe that's how much we should handle the Word of God. Every person in the congregation should get to that point. And what is that going to take? That's going to take a lot of reading, isn't it? 
And you're going to have to plan to read the Word of God. And uh, I don't always think that the, the set time is always the best. You might say, well, I'm going to spend a half an hour a day. You might be limiting yourself there. There might be one day when you might not be able to spare a whole half a day and you'll feel condemned because you didn't put in your religious half a day. Now, that wouldn't be any good either. But there'd be another day you can sit down for three hours and have a real feast of the Word of God and get up like uh, you've been eating at Ruppets and feel really stuffed. <laughs> but um, everywhere, I don't know where Ruppets is, but uh, it's one of those places where you pay $4 and eat as much as you like. Fantastic place. <laughs> Although I don't really advise it every week. But um, as I said, we've got to give the Word of God a lot of attention. Well, anyhow, um, how many points have we gone through? One. Well, I don't mind really because I may be not going to dwell on the others quite so much. I believe the Word of God is something that I particularly wanted to... Uh, to emphasise tonight. Now the other, the second one that I would emphasise that is a constant thing in our life is prayer. Just look in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. For those that are taking down what I'm saying tonight, there was a scripture which uh, I'm not going to turn to because I'm running out of time to do with the word of God and I was going to turn to Acts chapter 17 verse 10 to 12 and uh, that was to do with um, those who heard the word of God and it says that they searched out the word of God to see whether those things were right and I believe that's why we encourage everybody who comes to the meeting within days of you getting baptised or usually the day you do get baptised somebody will put a Bible in your hand if you can't afford one they say well look I've got an old one borrow this for a few weeks or if you can't afford one, come next door, let's have a look at uh, what you can afford. Here's a, here's a Bible. i tell you what, a little hit on buying a Bible. Whatever Bible you buy, you'll be pretty well stuck with it for the rest of your walk in the Lord. And the reason I say that is that you'll get to know that Bible so well that later on you might say, oh, I'd like to get a, well, maybe, for example, like I've got a wide margin Bible, which, worse luck, tend to be rather dear. You might go and buy your uh, $6 special and uh, later on you might say, I'll change to a wide margin. You find it very difficult because you'll know everywhere where those scriptures are and, uh, and so on. So sometimes it's good to decide on what Bible you want right from the word go and to get to know that one. I tried to change just recently myself. There were two uh, brands of wide margin Bible and one was a bit cheaper than the other. So as usual, being a Scotsman, I bought the cheaper one and one of our sisters in the assembly had to buy it off me because uh, I found out for a few weeks I was completely lost. I couldn't find anything. But anyhow, <coughs> that's beside the point. The Word of God and they searched it out and that's what we've got to do. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, just one verse. And it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Just one little verse. Hundreds I could have turned to, to do with praying. But if the Son of God did things like that, how important is prayer? He was the Son of God. He knew his Father. He'd lived with him for, well, I can't give a time, but he'd lived for eons of time. He'd been with the Father. He knew God like nobody knew God. 
But he thought it sufficient to go out and pray to God all night. Now I must admit I've never done that. Maybe that's to my detriment. Remember many, many years ago we had a, a few of us got together and we said we're going to have a really good night, we're going to pray all night. And I remember I went to sleep about 10 o'clock and woke up at 6 o'clock. I was very refreshed, but uh, I didn't have my night's prayer. Others somehow or other battled on through the night. But um, Christ prayed all night, and that's not the only time he did it. It was again and again the Lord went aside. And you notice how he did it. The Bible says he went into a mountain. Now I'm not saying we have to go up to Mount Lofty to do it. But I think the emphasis, isn't it, that often prayer is a time between you and the Lord alone. I won't uh, hesitate to say, though, that if you can pray as husband and wife and as parents and children or whatever home you live in, young people that live together, to pray together and, and so on, there should be maybe times when you do that. Maybe not again in a set little ritual. Worse luck sometimes, the little ritual, it, it, it gains a type of monotony where uh, you sort of have the little set time like the old-fashioned method was uh, before a meal, the head of the house would get out the Bible and everybody would listen to a chapter and so on. I don't really, I don't really recommend that actually. I believe to many, many times with the children and that it becomes a thing that they dread. It, it's, it may be a more spontaneous thing that I'm, as I'm saying that within your home you have a time when you feel that you should pray as a family. There might be a few problems. Usually they come up, don't they? There might be something that you're having a bit of a hassle over. And in the midst of your little uh, argument, often the best thing to say is, hold it. Why don't we pray about it? You know, the, uh, the bills are not being met and, and this sort of thing and we've got this problem and, and little Jimmy wants to go off to the disco or something like that or he wants to go roller skating and I, my advice to him is not to do it. We don't seem to be getting through. Why don't we pray about it? And usually if we're all baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't knock it back, do we? And uh, we say, all right, let's pray about it. And it can come from any member of the family, often comes from the children. As they'll say to the parents, look, Mum and Dad, here you are worried about all this. Why don't you pray about it? And you feel about that big, don't you? <laughs> it's good when it comes like that. I'm going to cop it now, aren't I? But um, Christ prayed all night. What a tremendous example for you and I. He thought it sufficient at times, to go aside. Maybe the only time that you'll ever get any privacy is to maybe go out and sit in the motor car or something like that. Maybe you're in a home where uh, things are pretty busy and people are coming and going all the time. I'm talking about planning tonight, aren't I? I'm talking about you literally saying, well, I want a bit of time on my own. Go for a walk with the cat or something. <laughs> Get away from it. Go for a walk. Go and talk to the, 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 the birds and the bees or something. Out there in a, a bit of private, uh, uh, away from it all. Maybe going along in your motor car. Uh, the housewife sometimes has the home to herself and uh, husband's gone off to work and the children have gone off to school and so on. It's a time when she can say, well, I'm going to have a bit of prayer. Often people come to us and they say, oh, I'm not getting anything out of it. I often feel like saying to them, how much are you putting into it? Are you reading the Word of God? Are you praying? Or is it, are you just coming along to the meeting because you're lonely? You're treating it as a sort of a social thing. And maybe you treat the oversight as social leaders. 
They can sort out my problem. I'm not prepared to do what they advise me to do. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to pray. But you help me anyhow. You give me some great words of wisdom. And maybe, uh, worse luck, the oversight sometimes is so bogged down as social workers trying to work people's problems out on a natural basis when all the people have got to do is take the advice from the Word of God and that is to get stuck into the Word of God and to really seek the Lord. And if you've got a problem, why not put in a half an hour or so on your knees praying to the Lord? And of course there are various ways you can pray. Number one that we've got to say is speaking in other tongues. In the meeting at times we restrict it because the Bible tells us to. But no way is there any restricting, restriction on it at home. You can speak in tongues for a half an hour straight if you want to. What does the Bible say it will do to you? It will edify you. It will greatly edify you as you speak in tongues. You might say, how can that be? You do it and you'll find out. We can speak in, in English, of course, or whatever language we speak to God. We can pray about things that mean something to us. We say, Lord, I've got this problem. Or Lord, so-and-so's got a problem. Maybe it's not a problem at all. Lord, uh, do this. Let's have a revival, Lord. Let's uh, here and there. Or we could uh, think of other people as we pray. And then there's another form of praying, which is maybe called praise, where, where you're not speaking in tongues and you're not asking for anything. You're just saying, Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And uh, Lord, thank you for this. And Lord, thank you for that. A thankful type of praise unto the Lord. Always uh, take note of Brother Jeff Capon when he prays. Most of the time he is saying, Lord, thank you for this and Lord, thank you for that. I don't know if he's aware of it himself, but he does. And uh, I think it's a great way to pray to God, to thank the Lord. Sometimes we don't always put it right, do we? I always remember a time when Brother Mark Duncan was uh, praying up at... Uh, um, uh, um, 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 uh, up at uh, the uh, Port Perry Revival Centre as it was in those days and Brother Paul Kay was the pastor up there and uh, Brother Mark was leading a meeting there and uh, at the end of the meeting uh, he decided that uh, he would uh, uh, close in prayer and he started off and he said uh, Heavenly Father and that's as far as he got and he suddenly remembered that Paul always made everybody sit down and he hadn't told everybody he was still standing. So he sat it off, Heavenly Father, and he said, Oh, be seated. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know if, uh, what results we got on that. Uh, we might find out one day. <clears throat> I don't know why, it just made me think of another little... Uh, funny way we're talking before about how we we read the word of God and um, one method that some people use in reading the word of God is called Bible spotting and what they do is they open the word of God and they close, they don't uh, watch what they're doing they close their eyes like this and they open the word of God and they put their finger on the page and they read it and that's some wonderful little message that they've been led of the spirit to read. Maybe there are times we open the word of God and it's just there isn't it? But some people do it as a bit of ritual. And uh, one person did this once and they opened the Word of God and they closed their eyes and they put their finger on the page and they opened it up and it said, Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> and they thought, oh, that can't be right. <laughs> so they closed the Bible and they opened it again. They put their finger on the page and it said, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
So uh, not always the best way maybe to read the Word of God. Now uh, we're rapidly running out of time and um, the other one, the third point that I'd like to emphasise that is extremely important in our walk in the Lord is witnessing. And it's a shame that I am running out of time because it's so very important in our walk in the Lord and it takes planning. Reading the Word of God takes planning. Praying takes planning. Not always, sometimes these things are spontaneous, aren't they? But often you've got to think about it and do something about it. And of course, witnessing, often we say when we're witnessing, oh, well, I'll wait for an opportunity. I believe you've got to create opportunity. And I believe one of the things you've got to do to start off with is contemplate where the lost are going and think about what's going to happen to them. And uh, if you think about that enough, you'll want to go and witness to them. Because if they're not baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit and they haven't done what God told them to do, there's absolutely no doubt according to the Word of God they're going to miss out. And you might think up excuses. You might say, oh, well, they don't know and, and maybe they'll get another chance. Don't rely on that. Because according to the teaching of the Word of God, there's no hope. It says, to those that are baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, they're saved by the skin of their teeth. I don't know the exact scripture there, but uh, it doesn't in actual fact say that, does it? That it says we are scarcely saved. We are just saved, but by the grace of God. We've done what God told us to do and we're saved, but by the grace of God. And it goes on to say, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? And I believe the Bible very clearly points out that they're not going to be saved. If you have the slightest hope for their salvation without them being baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, that will instantly break down your zeal to witness to them. You will sort of say, oh well, maybe this will happen or maybe that's contemplate the salvation of the person that you work with. You might think he's a nice guy or a nice woman. They might be very nice people. If they're not baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not saved, however nice they are. And their opportunity of salvation lies in your hands. And often it takes planning again to witness to people. And the Bible says, uh, the scripture I was going to turn to was in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse uh, 14. Mark chapter 1 and verse um, 14. It says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So praise the Lord. I could say so much about just those very words. The time is fulfilled. God is working to a timetable. It is such an accurate timetable that it would take our breath away. It is most probably to the very second. Or maybe it's not even measured in time. But uh, that's the only way we can talk. God has got a timetable that uh, he is sticking to. Jesus Christ is going to turn... In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, at the appointed time, you coming to the Lord, you hearing the gospel, you getting up in the morning and going to bed at night time, it's all in the hand of God. It's all in the plan of God. And if God plans it that well, how much more should we plan our daily life? And uh, we find here that he preached the kingdom, but we'll read on. 
In verse 16, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue, and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. A tremendous story. Jesus calling the disciples to become fishers of men. Look at that uh, verse there in verse 20. The tremendous attitude of the sons of Zebedee. As it says, they left their father in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. They instantly, the whole atmosphere is a father standing there with an absolute blank look on his face. And he's left with all the fish half cleaned and the hired servants there and the the job only half done. And they didn't even have time to pull the boat in. They didn't even say to Jesus, well, look, at least we've, we've we've got to clean the fish. At least some little thing we've got to do before we come and follow you. They just left the scene as it was. They walked out and they followed the Lord. What an attitude. And he called them and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And that call is to every one of us here tonight who are baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. He's called us to be fishers of men. And what can we say about fishing for men? So much. You've got to plan it again. You've got to create uh, the opportunity. You've got to think of the person that you're going to preach the gospel to. Maybe we think a little bit about fishing. One important thing to do about fishing is you've got to be where the fish are. They talk about a good ground, don't they? And the old fisherman down the, the jetty there, uh, he knows where to fish, doesn't he? And, uh, or he knows where to go out and put his boat. And uh, he goes out and in his boat and he sights up on such and such a mountain and this little light over here and, uh, and so on. And he knows his position. He knows when he's over it. And he goes fishing in the right position. Uh, Brother uh, uh, John Coleman, Pastor John Coleman, when he came to the Lord, he was preaching the gospel in Mudamuklo. And uh, the little joke I quite often crack. He witnessed to everybody there in the first three months that he was in the Lord. Everybody on the west coast and or up there around Matamaka and uh, uh, three months later he went down to Port Lincoln and witnessed to his second person. So you've got to be where the people are. <laughs> and that's why he's here in Adelaide. Yeah, we've got a lot of people to talk to, haven't we? We can't complain about lack of people to talk to. We're here in this corner of the vineyard and we want to tell people about the gospel. But as a fisherman, well, there are things to think about, aren't they? And uh, well, we often use the old story of uh, hook, line and sinker there. You've got to have the right bait, don't you? You've got to know what you're doing. You often, when I was a child, I used to know Port Lincoln very well. As a fisherman, as a child, I used to go down there and we got to know the local scene. And every uh, school holidays, the tourists would come in. And uh, we were very uh, uh, sceptical of their methods. They never usually caught anything as a result of it. They'd come down there and they'd have a, a sinker on the end of the line that had sort of hit the water like a, a hydrogen bomb. And, uh, well, I don't know, they might have been bra- trying to brain the fish, I don't know. And they'd have hooks on it that were big enough to catch a shark, and usually after Tommy Ruffs, and uh, they'd have a great bit of uninteresting looking meat hanging on there, and they'd sit there for half an hour, and now and again they'd think, well, we better give them something to bring them around, and they'd tip a half a bucket of burley, and of course they'd feed all the fish up, and nobody could catch any. They went about it completely the wrong way. We were very naughty little children, actually. It's got nothing to do with it again. But we used to go underneath the jetty 
and we'd walk along there and they'd been sitting there for half an hour. We'd have to give them some joy and we'd lean out when they weren't looking and give the line a tug. <laughs> the only trouble was that you'd usually get a half a bucket of burly over you. <laughs> because that, that was to keep them around, you see. <laughs> but um, we seem to be getting a little bit off the uh, path there. You've got to give it some planning. Maybe I might use my mother as an example of a couple of people that came to the Lord uh, through a little bit of planning. And one of them was, uh, uh, I think you know him rather well, Rex Hazy. And uh, he was in real estate. And my mother at the time was thinking of moving to Elizabeth. And uh, she'd witnessed a little bit to Rex and he'd sort of shown some sort of response. And uh, there was a house up in Elizabeth, right out of his area completely. But Mum insisted on Brother Rex showing him, uh, uh, showing her the house. And uh, there was one main reason that my mother had in mind. She wanted to witness to him. I don't think she was very interested in the house at all. But uh, she planned it a little bit there and she rung up the office and uh, she said, I want to see this particular house. And they said, oh, we'll send so-and-so. And mum said, no, I want that man Rex Hazy. And uh, anyhow, it's a long way from Adelaide to Elizabeth. And uh, well, praise the Lord, he heard the word of God and he came. And there's another uh, brother and sister in the assembly here tonight. Um... um uh, Bernard and Joan uh, Johnson. Uh, when uh, Mum witnessed to Joan, uh, she was working in John Myers in Elizabeth. John Myers, John Martins. <laughs> yes, that's better than my jokes, isn't it? The old mistakes. But in uh, John Myers, there she was working, <laughs> and um, a real hybrid. Um, and uh, she was, uh, I forget what she was selling. And uh, my mother, again, uh, had witnessed to her a little bit and uh, she went back there and Joan was pretty busy this day and uh, every now and again uh, uh, there would be uh, a time when the mum would try to go up and witness to Joan and uh, somebody would walk up and there were some escalators right alongside where Joan was working and mum spent a lot of time on those escalators. She seemed to be one of those confused people that couldn't make up her mind when she wanted to go to the fir first floor or the ground floor. And she was, of course, all the time watching Joan. And she'd go up and down and up and down and up and down until there was a break in the crowd and Mum went... Joan might know anything about this, by the way, but uh, Mum finally went up to her and uh, praised the Lord. And I'm just using that as a little bit of an example that it takes planning, doesn't it? You've got to work at it sometimes. Sometimes you've got to uh, literally say, well, I'm going to witness the gospel to so-and-so, and you get a knockback. And sometimes we think, oh, well, um, you know, I'll, I'll go away and maybe the Lord will arrange something else. No, it, uh, it might take a bit of earnest prayer and seeking the Lord to go and preach the gospel to that person. And sometimes people say to us, oh, you're too heavy. Oh, I don't, you're twisting my arm, and so on. Well, I'm glad the Lord twisted my arm. I'm glad somebody kept at me. Because I was one of those people that uh, most probably most people would have given up on, our whole family. And uh, for months and months people persevered with us. And that's interesting, isn't it? For months they did. They, we sort of only gave them a little bit of encouragement. We wouldn't get baptised. We wouldn't receive the Holy Spirit. But for months they kept coming back. There were some times that we were fairly responsive and other times that we weren't. But I just praise the Lord that they kept at us. And uh, one day we finally got baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. But there were others out there, I know now, that they must have been tempted to be, to dis, tempted to be discouraged and give in because we just weren't responding. 
but eventually we got baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was the Lord, of course, but it was their zeal to witness to us. And uh, there are people maybe that you've witnessed to and you've given up on. But maybe now's the time to go and witness to them again. Maybe at this time they're in trouble, they're sick, or maybe they're seeking the Lord or something. Maybe the last time you witnessed to them, they didn't even listen to you. But maybe now they will. And as I said, it takes a little bit of uh, planning, doesn't it? The Bible talks about being as harmless as doves and wise as serpents. And he was talking about preaching the gospel. We're talking about fishermen, aren't we? And how that they've got to plan it and they've got to use the right gear and they've got to know what they're doing. And when you go and preach the gospel to people, sometimes you think the only way to preach to somebody is to have an argument with them. That's not, you, you don't feel happy unless you've had an argument with them. Well, I believe it's the opposite. I believe you can do everything you can to avoid an argument. Because the moment a person becomes so irate with what you're saying, I don't believe they're even listening to what you're saying anymore. You might go away thinking, well, I won that argument. They never had an argument for my wisdom. I was really, I really nailed them down. You won an argument, but you lost a soul. And sometimes it's better to not even give all the answers. Sometimes it's, not, it's better not to be a know-all on the Word of God. Some of the best results I've seen of people coming to the Lord are people of when they're witnessing to them and a person's come up with some really spurious sort of a red herring. They might ask the old typical question of, why, uh, uh, you know, what about the uh, person out there in the middle of China? You know, how's he going to hear the gospel? Or why does the Lord allow this to happen? And sometimes instead of spending half an hour on some wonderful, clever answer, it's better to say, well, uh, I don't know all the answers, but why don't you come along to a meeting and, and just see what happens? And sometimes you can spend hours in argument and a person walks into a meeting and they, they, the presence of the Lord is here and the Lord is working on them. And uh, how often you hear the person say afterwards, I came along with the attitude I wasn't going to do anything. They certainly weren't going to baptise me and I found myself in the baptism tank. Or I found myself out the front being prayed for and I received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they came into the midst of the people of God and the Lord was in the midst and the Lord moved upon them. Wisdom in preaching to people and uh, be uh, sensitive to the way that the conversation is going. The Bible says to be wise as serpent, as harmless as doves. In other words, let us not always win every fight. In actual fact, usually if you win every fight, the other person goes away thinking, gee, I was put down there and they're discouraged and they're unhappy with the results. But if you answer some of their questions, the greatest way to witness to anybody is to tell them your testimony to tell them your testimony, what the Lord has done for you. There's no better way. Or tell them somebody else's testimony. Don't always, as I said, be the great know-all. You might know the answer. You might be able to completely put them straight on it. But they are not baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. They most probably won't understand what you're saying. And so get them to come along and get baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. And just the final one that uh, uh, I won't even say a great deal about, and that's fasting. Mention reading the word, prayer and witnessing. In your walk in the Lord from time to time there will be fasting and it's an important thing. We read back there in the book of Isaiah. We'll just turn to that one verse to finish tonight. Isaiah 58 and verse 6. One that we always usually read out at fastings. Isaiah 58 and verse 6. 
And he says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Fasting, worse luck to many people, is a, is a drudgery. And uh, it becomes a law to them. They feel they've got to fast a certain amount of time. Or uh, when they're fasting, they feel that if they maybe broke the fast too early or they did something, that it, it becomes a law. I, it's a pity, really, that fasting is like that. It shouldn't be that way. If you just fast one meal unto the Lord, I'm sure the Lord is delighted. Another person might fast 40 days and the Lord not, might not be all that happy at all. Why? Because it was just a big endurance test for them. And they weren't particularly in tune with the Lord at all. It was just so that after they could say they fasted 40 days. Another person might fast one meal and really in prayer and, and, and uh, drawing aside they might get the victory they were looking for. But I believe fasting is going to be something in your walk in the Lord from time to time. We have it as an assembly but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you and your walk in the Lord, planning your walk in the Lord. There are times when you as an individual, maybe no other member in your family even knows about it and you just suddenly decide, yes, I'm going to have uh, a time of fasting. Maybe if you're going to go for a little bit uh, longer time, you might have to plan a little bit ahead. Uh, I know uh, a couple of times when I've done a little bit longer, I've uh, uh, had to think about it for a while. To sort of really get to the thought that I'm not going to eat for a certain length of time. A little bit hard to do, isn't it? But to say that I can uh, uh, enter into the things of the Lord, although I will say that a couple of times that I went for a reasonable length of time, I didn't uh, in some ways get as much out of it as a couple of times when I fasted, as I said, for a couple of meals. And uh, it wasn't such an endurance test. It was uh, just a time when I uh, was able to uh, draw aside and seek the Lord. But I'm not using myself as an example tonight. I'm talking about what the Word of God says. It helps you sometimes to concentrate on the things of the Lord. You've got no natural thing in front of you. And just in finishing tonight, I would say to all of us here tonight that those four things that I've mentioned, and there are dozens of others, big ones like attending the meetings and this sort of thing, but these four that I've mentioned are, are almost a daily thing in your walk in the Lord. The reading of the Word, praying to God, witnessing, well not fasting, it's not always a daily thing, is it? But there's times in your walk in the Lord that you should do these things. And uh, if you're feeling a little bit as though nothing's happening in your walk in the Lord, are you doing those four things? Are you really getting something out of it? Are you devouring the Word of God? Do you pick up the Word of God and feel like hugging it? Is it, is it a, 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 as a, as I said, a, a love arrangement? Do you love the Word of God? Do you, do you love it to be before your eyes? Do you love to communicate with your God? Do you, do you love to witness a wonderful side effect of witnessing is what you get out of it. It's, it's very much for their salvation. But if you witness to somebody, it, it is absolutely fantastic. Brother John mentioned this afternoon the times when we're almost bulldozed into it. Somebody comes up to us and asks us to give our testimony. What about planning it a little bit? What about a bit of earnest prayer with your word? Sitting down with the word and praying at the same time and thinking about these people and, and holding up their salvation and saying, Lord, I want to witness to this person. Or, Lord, I'd like to tell them the gospel. I'd like to tell them what's happened to me. And, uh, and going about it. I believe the re rewards for the kingdom of God and for you as an individual just cannot be described. And you will have a joyous walk in the Lord if you put in an effort. And don't just let it happen in your walk in the Lord. And all the people said. Amen. Amen.